Okay. No, you start. You start. Who's starting? Who's starting? After you, Emily. No, really. I think you're starting. Okay, fine. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, Emily. Hey, NPR science correspondent Jeff Brumfield. At our designated taping time, how are you? <laughs> yeah, fancy running into you here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm sitting down here in my daughter's princess tent in my basement. Uh, for um, optimal sound recording conditions. It turns out a princess tent's a pretty good place to record an episode of Shortwave. Excellent. Anyway, look, remember when we used to go to places and report on stuff? Oh, do I? I miss it. I miss getting in a car and seeing people. Yeah, me too. And last year, before the pandemic, I actually got to do that. Hmm. Okay, check, check, check. We are rocking and rolling. I drove out to Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Maryland. Oh, thank God nobody can see my car. It's a mess. And I met a bunch of scientists and engineers who are planning the ultimate road trip over a billion kilometers to one of Saturn's moons, Titan. Titan, yes! Oh, the number one moon, according to our episode, that subjectively ranked all the moons in our solar system. I'm so excited for this. Great. They're going to Titan? Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. This mission to Titan is every bit as cool as the moon itself. Because Emily, this is no lander. Uh This isn't some rover with little wheels that go... What what is it? How are they getting to Titan? Well, they're getting to Titan with a rocket. But (laughs) when they get to Titan... (laughs) How are they exploring Titan? They are going to explore Titan with a giant flying drone for science. Honestly, it was only a matter of time until drones got in on this whole space business. You know? It was. It was. So can I do the Today on the Show line since Maddie's not here? (laughs) Yes. Thanks. As long as you don't tell Maddie that I let you. Okay, here we go. Today on the Show. How scientists are building a nuclear-powered self-driving drone called Dragonfly to explore the most interesting moon in the solar system. Okay, Jeff, so why do people want to explore Titan, the moon, anyways. Well, I've got just the person to answer that. Her name is Zibby Turtle. So Titan is a really fascinating world. She's the principal investigator of the Dragonfly mission. And like we said before, Titan is a moon of Saturn. But Zibby will be the first to tell you, this is not a moon like our moon. There are sand dunes on Titan um, that look very much like the sand dunes here on Earth. Um, There are hills and valleys, and they're all gullied because there's been a lot of uh, uh, fluvial erosion over time. And then at the high latitudes, there are um, lakes and and even seas of uh, liquid hydrocarbons. Oh, that's right. And Titan glows orange in part because these surface lakes and seas also evaporate methane into the atmosphere, right? That's right. Titan is too cold for water on the surface. Because it's 94 Kelvin and negative 290 Fahrenheit. But chemicals like methane are actually a liquid at those low temperatures. So Titan has these seas of hydrocarbons sloshing around on the surface, and they even evaporate into clouds, and it rains methane on Titan. 
dang, it is intense on Titan. It is. And you know what? That's not all because those dunes, researchers think they're made of really complex organic molecules. Jeff, I want to stop you right there because I know there are hydrocarbons and now you're telling me there are organic molecules too. And on Earth, at least, that kind of chemistry is tied to life. Absolutely. So do scientists think that there is the possibility of life on Titan? Short answer is no, it's probably too cold. I mean, they haven't ruled it out, but they're not really expecting to find alien life on Titan. It turns out, though, that's actually a reason to go visit. Oh, why? Well, before there was life here on Earth, there was chemistry. Somehow, chemical reactions became life. We just have no idea how it happened. We want to understand the prebiotic chemistry, the chemistry that occurs before chemistry becomes biology. And Titan gives us a place to do that. It's hard to do that on Earth because biology kind of overprints everything. But on Titan, the, you know, all of these materials have been basically doing chemistry experiments for us. And so what we want to be able to do is go pick up the results of those experiments. Wow. So Titan could be a giant lab for studying where life came from. It's like a time machine. That is just Really, really cool. It really is. And there's one more incredible thing about Titan. It Uh has this really dense atmosphere. It's like four times the density of Earth's atmosphere, but the gravitational pull on Titan is just a fraction of Earth's. So there's lots of atmosphere to push against and low gravity, and that means getting airborne is super easy. If you add a, a good way to keep warm, and uh, some oxygen with you uh, to breathe, and put wings on, you'd be able to fly. What? You mean like flapping? Exactly. A human, a human being would be able to fly on Titan. It's that much easier to fly on Titan than it is on Earth. That sounds honestly spectacular right now. It does, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I would, I would almost go, although it's, it's a pretty long trip. But but look, I mean, this is what makes Dragonfly possible. And I can just see myself knocking your coffee over here. Let's leave Titan for a minute and get back to the Applied Physics Laboratory. Womp womp. All right, let's go back to Maryland. Yep, yep, back to Maryland. Down the hall from Zivi's office, I walked into this conference room, and there was a giant drone sitting on the table. Wow. I didn't know we had that. This is fantastic. Look at this thing. But this drone, as big as it is, is only about half the size of the real deal. Again, because Titan has this dense atmosphere and not a lot of gravity, Dragonfly can be almost as big as a compact car. I don't know if it's quite as tall as you, Zibby, but it's almost that tall when it's... it's... It depends on whether the high-gain antenna is deployed or not. Yeah, the high-gain is... I think it stands about this high. Yeah, it's, it's impressively large. That second voice you heard is Doug Adams. He's the spacecraft systems engineer, basically Mm -hmm. the guy in charge of putting all the pieces of Dragonfly together. So wait, you're telling me we're going to explore Titan using a drone the size of a car? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it provides some advantages. It makes it more stable. It can land on terrain more reliably. And Mm. big bonus, more room for all that cool scientific equipment. Hashtag outer space road trip. All right, Jeff. So talk me through the pieces of Dragonfly. Right. Okay. So we've already said it's a drone, more specifically a quadcopter, although actually each of the corners with the propellers has two sets of propellers. So that kind of makes it, I think, an octocopter. Um, (laughs) Uh Have you ever flown a quadcopter? No. Okay. So I have a little one that I fly with my kids. And I mean, they can be really hard to control even here on Earth. (laughs) Titan is so far away. Forget it. 
this drone will have to be completely self-driving. And I mean, personally, that makes me nervous, especially when I think how often I've smacked mine into a tree or something. But Doug isn't worried about that problem. We make the joke, if we hit a tree, then we win, right? Because, you know, we found a tree on Titan. (laughs) The optimism of these scientists. I mean, the other thing I've heard about those drones is they don't fly for very long, right? Like the ones that can hover for just a few minutes in the parking lot, they they only can do that before you have to recharge their batteries. That's right. That's right. It takes a lot of energy to fly and there's nowhere to plug in on Titan. And no. you can't use solar panels because it's too far from the sun. And as you mentioned, the atmosphere is just too hazy. So Dragonfly is actually going to use a nuclear battery that lasts for years. So what I'm hearing from you, Jeff, is that they are building a nuclear-powered, self-driving science drone the size of a car to fly on a moon nobody has ever flown on. This sounds bonkers. This sounds so hard. This is some tough science. (laughs) It it really does. But here's what Zibby and Doug will tell you. They'll say, drones, we've had those for a while. Self-driving technology is pretty mature these days. Like, there are Mm. cars out there actually using it. And even these nuclear batteries that sound so wild, they're really old hat. Like, NASA's had them for years, and it's using one on the current Mars rover. So it all sounds crazy, but this is really just screwing a bunch of existing technologies together. Almost everyone that gets exposed to Dragonfly has a similar thought process. The first time you see it, you think, you've got to be kidding, that's crazy. And then you think about it a little bit more and you realize, well, there is no reason that you couldn't do this autonomously. You ha- we have the technology, you see it flying around every day. And, and eventually you come to realize that this is a, a highly executable mission. Dragonfly, greater than the sum of its parts. That's a good way of putting it. You, you got a knack for the taglines there, Kwong. Try my best. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Jeff, I'm incredibly excited for this self-driving car that's going to zip around a moon. I mean, this is just some very, very cool science. When is this going to Titan? Well, hold up there, buckaroo, because it turns out it's <laughs> okay. not going to be for a while. <laughs> not for a while? How long? Well, the launch isn't until 2026, and okay. it doesn't land until 2034. Mm. But this really brings me to the final thing about Dragonfly that I find pretty cool. While I was there, I also met this young postdoc named Shannon McKenzie. So she's been working on Dragonfly since she was a graduate student, and she's really excited to help build it. Oh, I'm going to try and put my hands on as many pieces of Dragonfly as possible. (laughs) But don't tell anyone I said that. (laughs) So McKenzie is at a very different point in her career from everyone else in the room. How old will you be in 2034? I'll be 44. You'll be kind of, I guess, mid-career then, right? Yes, which is a weird thought that I'm not ready for. (laughs) I still feel like I have a lot to learn. But to Zippy Turtle, who's the principal investigator, it's really important that these young researchers like Shannon are on an equal footing in the group because getting to Titan takes so long, you actually need to have young people on the project. We want to bring in people, you know, early career scientists and engineers, uh, to bring them along on the journey. So we have a succession plan, actually. The next generation of Dragonfly Flyers. That's right. That's right. I mean, to be clear, Zibby's not planning on going anywhere until she gets to see Dragonfly fly on Titan. But, you know, these sorts of missions, they take literally generations. And that's pretty cool to me. 
Jeff is very cool. This has been such a wild ride. Not as cool as the actual ride will be when researchers get to Titan, but still a lot of fun. Thank you so much for bringing us this story. You're very welcome, Emily. From my little daughter's princess tent in my basement, Jeff Brumfield, NPR News. And I'm Emily Kwong. You're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. This episode was produced by Rebecca Ramirez, fact-checked by Burley McCoy, and edited by Viet Le. Comedian Nicole Byer doesn't consider herself body positive. She just accepts herself as is. I hate that there's a name for, like, not hating a part of who you are. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's insane. Nicole Byer on her new book, Very Fat, Very Brave, and How to Love Yourself. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR.